Hey, everybody. My name is Sean Pitcher. I am your host. This is Roots Podcast. Today, I have Mike Caro. I got it correct the first time. You told me a lot of people tend to mess up his last name. Um, he is a tactical strength and conditioning coach working with Army Special Forces. Mike, welcome. Sean, thank you so much, man. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, we got lots of great things that we're going to discuss today from a variety of different backgrounds that he has. Um, like we do on all of our podcasts, Mike, the first question I want to ask you is, can you dig into a little bit about who you are? Who is Mike behind the scenes? Uh, man, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, I feel like when most strength coaches nowadays get started with the uh, biography part of their um, of their podcast, they always start with, well, I had a very untraditional route. So I'm going to switch that up and go with, I had a very untraditional route. Um, originally, um, man, I, I, I've been in the field quite a while. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to say where I got my start because I was a college athlete. Um, I went to a small NAIA school, had a pretty good track and field career. Uh, and while I was there, uh, one of my courses that I was taking required that I did community service hours. So I just went to the local YMCA. They said, Hey, we could use somebody on the janitorial staff. So that in essence is how I got started as a strength and conditioning coach was as a janitor. Um, because from there, the YMCA um, helped me to get my CPT. So mm -hmm. I was YMCA CPT certified. Um, and then from there, I got um, CSCS, another CPT, and went on from there. Um, so when I was in college, my undergraduate degree is actually in computer information systems. So I was doing um, website uh, design and development and coding and, and just different stuff like that. And by the time I was um, a senior in college, I realized that computer work was a hobby for me, something I enjoyed doing in my spare time, but it didn't give me a sense of satisfaction. I like helping people, like having a, a direct impact. Um, I also like competition. I, I love training. I love continuous improvement. Um, and I didn't know strength and conditioning was even a thing you could do as a job uh, until I was a couple of years out of college. So by the time I was a senior in college, um, I was actually working in our uh, campus fitness center, helping, you know, doing some informal personal training with um, a couple students, but I was also kind of working with our cheer and dance team, helping them put together programs. Mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> after college, I moved out to California to pursue a career in track and field. I was trying to make U.S. track and field nationals. I was a hammer thrower, uh, still am, just had master's nationals uh, a couple weekends ago. And when I moved always out competitive, it, it never goes always, <laughs> always, always. Yeah, it's uh, it's you, you just got to have um, it's like that analogy of filling your bowls or filling your cups. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, if that competition or training with a purpose cup isn't isn't there. filling up, yeah. there's something missing. There's definitely something missing for mm -hmm. me. Um, and luckily with with my job now, I have a little extra time to pursue hobbies. So, you know, since I've taken this job, I've competed in. Um, the Kentucky State Weightlifting Championships uh, set some state records there. Um, I actually just won Masters Nationals for my age uh, age group in the hammer throw. So, congrats! Uh, That's awesome. Thanks. Big time. Thanks, thanks. It was it was a surprisingly good meet. It was it was great. It was fun. Um, so, anyways, uh, I moved out to California to pursue a, a career in track and field, and I got to wake, work with uh, Mike Barnett, who is at Azusa Pacific University as their throws coach uh, out there, and he was a two time Olympian in the javelin. I worked with some amazing athletes got to work with brian clay 
um, who was uh, an Olympic gold medalist in decathlon. Um, just an amazing experience. I uh, honestly, I, I didn't belong there at all. I was not that caliber, um, but they were extremely gracious in letting me come out, um, sleep on someone's couch for, for a couple months while I was out there training. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was just a great experience. I got to train with higher level athletes. I got to you know hang out with a couple of Olympians, just see how they do things. And that's really where the strength and conditioning bug kind of took over. Um, coach Barnett, um, you know, had Joe Ken's, uh, strength coaches, uh, playbook, um, that he would write his programs off of. Um, and that, you know, getting to see that, getting to see that there's organization and there's progression, um, and there are phases to training, uh, that really opened my eyes. Uh, so while I was out there, um, I got my CSCS and started, um, I was asked by a friend to help him coach at a local high school. He was a wrestling coach there. So I became his assistant. Um, before wrestling season was over, the track and field team asked me to be the throws coach. And then the next year, um, the field hockey coach asked me to coach women's field hockey, which I'd never even seen before in my life. Um, <laughs> and I ended up just loving it. I got to be the head JV coach and we had, um, just a phenomenal record for the four years I was there, uh, mostly due to her because she was a great field hockey coach and a great player. Um, but while I was out there, I got my CSCS. I started working with some of the high school athletes in the weight room, and it really sparked my desire to, uh, it, it reinforced that I want to work with athletes. I want to work with youth athletes for the most part. Um, and uh, again, just have a direct impact on their life. And for me, it's not just about weight sets and reps. Um, the part I enjoy most about being a strength and conditioning coach is the mentorship. When I was out in California, um, you know, there's a very wide stratification of um, demographic in California. And where I was at, we had some kids that came from very well-off families. And we had some kids, um, you know, whose, whose families were not well-off. Some, you know, their parents had to work two or three jobs to make ends meet, which means they hardly ever got to see their parents, which means they were on their own a lot. Um, and just funny. being... Go ahead. It's funny you say that because like the last position I had, it was very similar. We had individuals that are very high economic, you know, driving around Mercedes Benzes and Lexuses and stuff like that. And then like, again, that, that polar opposite kids that are hoping they get to come there because they're in a neighborhood, they're in an environment, you know, mom and dad, you know, aren't in the best situation. Um, and, and then we had over 70 different countries represented in one place. So it's like, you got to really be able to be flexible. You have to be able to you know, not have a cookie cutter approach and really get to know the athlete, know the staff that you're working with. Because if you go in there with a mindset that everything you're going to say is going to work, well, you're going to have to throw that out the window because <laughs> you got to be able to take tactics from different ends to be able to serve each athlete. Absolutely. It's just like writing a strength and conditioning program. You know, if you start working with a new athlete, you have to meet them where they're at. You're not going to give a program for a fifth year senior to a freshman. Uh, and similarly, you have to be able to, as you said, adapt to different socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, you want to be able to to serve and mentor um, the kids that or, or even athletes. You know, in my in my situation now, I work with all adults and you want to be able to uh, meet them where they're at, because everyone can use some improvement um, on some level. And for some, it's a lot of basic improvements. They need basic needs. Uh, met and improved upon it. For some, it's the higher level stuff or something that's just missing a little bit. Uh, and I really, really enjoy that. That was uh, the most enjoyable part of working with high schoolers and working with college athletes. Um, 
so I'll kind of wrap this up a little bit here. We're, we're, we're actually at the very beginning of, of how I got started. Here, <laughs> I was at the high school for quite a few years, uh, working with wrestling, field hockey, track and field, doing all their off-season, in-season strength and conditioning for all three teams, running club teams all summer long, just trying to make ends meet while I was doing personal training. And uh, I was a full-time substitute teacher. So um, living in California can be rough. Oh, yeah. So uh, from there, I started volunteering uh, at... Um, University of Laverne, uh, Matt Durant uh, was there and just a great experience to see how an actual college strength and conditioning department is run. I had never seen one before. From there, I went to Portland State University and I interned for a summer with their football strength and conditioning program. Learned a whole lot there and then uh, found my way to the University of Michigan, actually. Um, uh, Michigan is where I where I grew up. So I had some contacts that helped me get in touch with the strength coaches there, did the University of Michigan uh, strength and conditioning program, internship program uh, when I was, I think I was 31. And the next oldest intern was uh, 21. Um, so that was quite an experience too. A little humbling uh, probably. <laughs> it was, it was. And it, this is at the same time, I was actually, um, when I started at the University of Laverne through my time at Portland State and I finished uh, while I was at the University of Michigan, um, I finished my master's degree. So I didn't know that uh, graduate assistant was a thing. I, I didn't, I've never, I've never really had a mentor when it comes to strength and conditioning. I've always had to kind of figure things out on my own. Um, so instead of doing a GA position and learning all this stuff and getting my education, I did these three different internships and did um, an online master's program at the same time, um, which I would definitely would have gone the GA, GA route if I would have known that was a thing. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was I was initially in that same boat. Like I come, I came yeah. from a family where like my brother went to college, and we had one cousin that went to college. And it's like besides yeah. that, like at the time, and until one of our connections, like we talked about before we got in here, Nate Young, like he was a mentor for me because I had zero clue that you could get your master's paid for, or there were these other opportunities. Or at the time, I I there wasn't a lot of nutrition opportunities at the time that I could get, you know, for sports nutrition. So it's like I had to go. The strength and conditioning route but it was great to have that mentorship and those paths and those ideas of, of where to direct me because if i didn't i mean i'll be honest if i didn't have him and he didn't tell me like here's these three or four sites you can apply for stuff mm -hmm. i would it's like i would have been clueless of like well, what's the next step like i guess i just get my credentials and then find a random job but mm -hmm. that's where i mean and we'll talk about that a little bit today as well that's where like having those people in place guide you and put you in a great position that you may have never even gotten to that point yeah it's, it's mentorship you know you may help one kid to get stronger you may help another kid to get uh, more powerful you may help another kid to find uh his passion her passion uh which ends up helping them to find their career um i had one when i was coaching high school i had one kid who rarely got to see his parents because they were so busy all the time i actually taught him to cook for himself you know make mac and cheese um because he just nobody ever taught him yeah. Um, so, uh, University of Michigan, uh, really learned a lot there. I say my time at the University of Michigan was equally as educational as my master's degree program. Um, I did a stint for a year and a half at a private strength and conditioning facility. I was their first, uh, hire. I was the head strength coach there, kind of helped them get off the ground and build their business before I took a position at Transylvania University, which is a division three college in Lexington, Kentucky. I was hired there as their first track and field throws coach uh, and a strength and conditioning coach. They didn't have an established uh, department. Uh, nine months into my uh, time at Transylvania University, they decided to create their first uh, head strength and conditioning coach uh, position and they asked me to take that. So I founded the strength and conditioning program there. Uh, and then a couple of years later, um, 
I interviewed for the head strength and conditioning coach position at Emory and Henry College, which is another division three. Um, and I did about three and a half years at Emory and Henry. And by the time I uh, left for my current job, uh, I was at Emory and Henry. I was the head strength and conditioning coach, the director of the campus fitness center, the throws coach for the track team and a guest lecturer. Um, for exercise science and phys ed classes. A utility campus. knife. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and that brings me to where I am today. I'm uh, about a year and eight months into my into a position as a strength and conditioning coach for U.S. Army Special Operations Command. So went from <clears throat> high school to kind of collegiate and private, uh, back to full-time collegiate, and then now I'm in tactical. Yeah, so let's let's dive into that. I mean, you're the first person I have on for for tactical strength and conditioning. Um, I mean, I, I feel like from my side, what I've seen, I'm sure you've seen the same, whether it's strength and conditioning coaches, whether it's in my field of sports dietitians, you know, there's been a huge shift of of a lot of our professionals going to that tactical route. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, especially right offhand, you see better hours, better pay, better benefits, you know, better family. Um, life where you can actually spend some time with your family and, and not feel like you're working 80, 90 hours a week, you know, like sometimes, which happens with some of the sports that, you know, some of us have to work with. So can you kind of dive into like, you know, what is tactical strength conditioning look like? I know it's probably going to be different depending on the base and where you're at. And, you know, how's that transition been from the college high school setting to now going to that? The transition is, is quite interesting. It's, it's actually something I've spoken on um, at the NSA National Conference because it can be a big change. Um, and I, I do have college, high school, private coaches call me occasionally and, and ask, you know, they're, they're interested in tactical, but they don't know much about it. I didn't know much about it. Um, I kind of applied or decided to get into the tactical realm on a whim. Um, I hadn't quite reached the, the full burnout phase for college yet, but, you know, do, having all the roles I had, um, at Emory and Henry and being the only strength coach at the school for 27 teams and 465 athletes. Plus, you know, they wanted me to work with club sports. Um, of course, the first person they let go when COVID hit was my only assistant. So I was on the floor for, for 10 straight hours working with athletes. And then um, on the weekends is when I would, the, the only time I would have to do my office work. So, you know, we're talking 70 to 80 hours a week and it's just not sustainable. Um, so I tell people that in the tactical realm, I help special forces operators to achieve and maintain the physiological conditions they need to meet mission or training parameters or um, the environments they might be in. It's, it's very similar to both college strength and conditioning and private kind of personal training. It has many elements of both. Mm -hmm. The biggest difference is in the tactical realm, you're not training your I use tactical athletes sometimes. Some people don't like that, um, but I help. Um, I'm, I'm not pushing people to become the most powerful, um, have the best endurance or be the strongest that their body is possibly capable of. In college, that's really the focus. You know, a majority of your sports in college are, are power based. You know, you're trying to run faster, jump higher, hit harder, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and in tactical, it's very different. You don't need to have those qualities. You may need to train them more to make it, to, to bring your level for that physiological adaptation up to um, a level that's acceptable. But really in, in a tactical realm, in, in the most part, you need to be a jack of all trades. You need to be able to run, uh, you know, a six minute mile. You need to be able to bench uh, one and a half times body weight. You need to be able to squat, you know, one and three quarters to two times body weight, right? Um, 
and, and it, it really depends on what your position is, right? What your military occupation is. Um, if you're on certain infiltration teams, you're going to need to probably be stronger and more powerful. If you're uh, doing missions that, re that require a lot of uh, walking or mountainous terrain, you're going to need a lot more endurance. Um, so there is some specialization there, and it, and it can also change from um, from mission to mission sometimes, or deployment to deployment. So, and it's almost like it's almost like when you think about how football players are trained, or like every every position is trained different. It's like every special forces or type of special forces, or like you said, the environment, the mission. Like they're going to have to get trained in a different way to be able to adapt to what they have coming in front of them. Absolutely, absolutely, and and all football players need to a base level of fitness yep. all military operators need a base level of fitness but then we specialize um, sometimes for whatever they're going to be encountering so it's it took me a while to shift my thinking you know especially uh, looking at my programming where by and large um, and, and people will make an argument for and against this in the tactical excuse me in the tactical realm periodization is not quite as stringent as it is in college in college you're going GPP, right? You're going uh, preseason, working on max strength. Then you're working on power and you're maintaining during season for the most part, for most sports. Uh, with tactical, I do periodize. Um, I think it keeps things fresh. It gives you a little something different to train for instead of just, you know, doing three sets of 10 or, or, or the same thing over and over again. And we do want to emphasize certain qualities at certain times. Um, so, and, and every tactical coach, tactical strength coach has a different method of how they kind of periodize. It's not always the same as college. And sometimes it can take, if you've been in college and high school for a long time, sometimes it can take a while to kind of flip the script in your head and, and see it in a different light. And I think that's one place where a lot of coaches that make the transition to tactical from high school and college have a difficult time is, is wrapping their heads around the fact that we don't need to break, you know, facility records. We don't need to break group records. Um, you know, we don't, we don't need to squat 600 pounds. It's hard where that's like your mindset for years and to try to break that yeah. and get away from that. It's like, especially if that's, what, if that's what you did in high school, if that's what you did in college and then you got into strength conditioning and that's what you help push people to do, you know, that's years of ingrained thought that you, you really have to switch around. Um, but it's, it's not in the best interest of most of our, um, of most of our military to train that way. Now do a lot of them train that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They just love training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it is fun and it's exciting. And we do get a lot of, um, um, former, uh, college athletes, you know, so, um, there's a lot more variation in tactical strength and conditioning, I think. So there's really, there's really more, um, more things you can find to train for and do, you know, we'll, we'll also work with some people that are, are uh, amateur athletes, um, power lifters, competitive weightlifters, Ironman, um, different triathlons, uh, Spartan races, stuff like that. We'll work with people on developing, uh, their, their, um, their physiology for those events as well. So like I said, that's kind of where some of the personal training stuff comes in is you're, you're geared towards more, some of the stuff that they want, not necessarily what they need to, to perform on game day. Um, and in some roles, you're going to work with uh, more administrative people, you know, people, people, when they think of tactical, they think, you know, big buff dudes that are kicking down doors and, you know, for, for, for every dude you've got that does do that or woman that does that, you've got support people that are behind the scenes, sitting at a desk, you know, doing all the logistics 
uh, for them. And, you know, we know that people that, that tend to sit for a long time doing those things tend to have mobility issues. They may have body composition issues. So you'll get some people that need to lose a little weight. You'll get a lot of people uh, that need to work on their mobility, which is the number one thing that I look at whenever I start working with someone new is uh, what are your mobility levels? What do we really need to focus on? Because just like in, in athletics, um, lack of mobility is usually an indicator of um, in, oncoming injury. And that's, and that's one big thing I was going to ask is, is it like college or some of those settings where like you just get a lot of people that have could have never trained lifted away before and then you got people that could have been a former athlete coming into the tactical setting or have lifted since they were 10 years old or something like that i'm sure you get that range of different absolutely levels coming yeah in. yeah we get people that never have never played a sport never even been in the weight room i've written you know starter programs for people who've never touched a bar before which is super foreign to me but again when you're a personal trainer, you'll get that. So you need to understand that realm as well. Uh, and then we get asked, you know, people that were um, college wrestlers, college football players. I, I have, um, I've worked with people that have actually interned as strength and conditioning coaches at the college level, you know, but they want um, someone who's got experience in the field to write their programs because, you know, they, they don't want to write their own programs, which I totally understand. So yeah, you get a lot, like I said, a lot more variety in the needs and the wants um, in the tactical realm without a doubt. Now, now you mentioned, obviously you've had past history at a couple of division three schools, um, you know, and, and also we talked about before we came on here that you got a lot of different interdisciplinary staff that you work with now compared to D3, where you're wearing like five different hats. Yeah. Um, can you kind of speak on the benefits or the importance of now being in tactical and having those individuals that you can work alongside versus you're at the D3 level and you're just kind of making it work because you're the only guy. Yeah. So at the D3 level, it's not uncommon for the head strength coach to be the nutrition person, um, to do a little bit of, um, therapy work, right. Stuff that's within our realm that can be done maybe in the weight room, foam rolling, soft tissue work, um, for small, uh, chronic things, um, sports psych, usually your head strength coach. You know, I've done a lot of that with our higher performing teams at the college level. Um, so it's something that is not necessarily, it's not necessarily a good thing because that's not your specialty. And it's really important that as a strength coach, um, particularly at a small school, that if you take on those roles, you know what your boundaries are, you know, don't, don't try it, especially in the psychological realm, right? Nutrition for us is, is kind of easy with nutrition. There are set ways that you do things. There are templates you can print out, you know, Hey, pregame foods, Hey, recovery foods. You know, yeah, like you, like you can use like the that. Sports Dietetic Association or USOC or, you know, the Australian Dietetic Association mm -hmm. that have, you know, tons of quick and easy infographics you can hand out. It's like here, follow this. If you at least follow a couple of these things, for the most part, it's going to push you in a better direction. But it's like beyond that or if it's like medical nutrition therapy, I'm not going to be your guy or girl. Like I, I, I can't do that for you, but I can at least give you some base level resources that are written by dietitians or professionals. Absolutely. That. And as professionals in our field, um, a lot of the time, I think we tend to um, shoulder the responsibility of doing absolutely everything we can. And, and we go too far in that stuff. And part of being a professional is knowing your professional limits, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have a, a, an education in that, if you don't have a substantial background in that, um, it, it really could be a disservice. You know, there are some states where, where, strength coaches, personal trainers, you can't write nutritional programs for people. You can't write diet plans because it's outside the scope of what you're doing. There's more to it um, than, than what we're educated on for the most part. Um, 
and then you get into sports psych and there are some some low level things you can do with sports psych but when you start getting past sports psych and you get start getting into more of the, the personal internal psychology for someone that may be attached to that you know mm-hmm. um as we know that the human psyche is it's it's deep there are many things and and we are very much unequipped to work with that so that's something where in my opinion an uneducated strength coach in terms of sports psychology you skim the surface again there may be some some template things you can do but that's something that shouldn't be delved into uh without the help of a professional for sure because if you start getting into trauma depression anxiety disordered eating i mean that's that's stuff that's going to need you know and in our case at our facility you know we have a, a double certified sports psychologist on hand that can cover and handle all those situations like and that has helped me a lot and in, in kind of my past experience, because like anytime I see something going right to her, but anytime she sees something that has something directly for nutrition, she's coming right to me. But at the same time, we're both communicating at the same time to support each other to then ultimately support the athlete to hopefully, again, change some of those d- deep rooted behaviors that have been locked in. And they're just kind of in that, you know, I, you know, I call it the loop, right? They're in the same loop over and over or if they've had a trauma or experience in the same loop over and over and like until you break that loop and go out to the right or out to the left and get them to think a different way, that's just their natural basic response because that's how they responded during that specific time in that trauma. And that's all they know how to respond to. And that's the easiest for them to respond to until they get pushed to try something different and then see success and then create, I don't want to say another new loop, but another more successful pattern that's going to yeah. provide them more positive behavior in that situation. Yeah. And, and especially in the terms of psychology, more so than nutrition, in my opinion, you can do a lot more bad than you can good if you're not versed in that realm. And, and really to get back to, to your question, that's where things are so different with tactical for the most part. Now, um, U.S. Army Special Operations um, has their the, the uh, human performance and wellness program has been around for a little over a decade. So it's, it's pretty well established. Um, army, uh, is still rolling out the, uh, H2F program, which is the regular army version of it. Um, and there are some places that don't have athletic trainers or some places that don't have strength coaches, nutritionists yet. So that's, they're working on that, but you know, luckily in the realm I'm in, I have all of those professionals and I don't have to shoulder, um, the responsibility of nutrition, of sports psych, of, of AT work, you know, and I don't have to take the risk of doing something that's beyond the scope of my profession. I, mm-hmm. and it, it takes some, some off your shoulders, some, some stress off your shoulders in that you don't have to do those things. And you can really just focus on being a strength coach and developing relationships, you know, uh, but I can hand somebody off to uh, athletic training, to physical therapy, to, um, we actually have, um, a psych and a sports psych, you know, so we've got someone that, that works with people on improving their game, if you will, or, you know, game time, um, mentality, uh, which is really cool. It's, it's, um, you know, I've never worked with a sports psych before and it's, uh, very interesting to see how, what he's able to do. So, um, again, getting back to your question, it's just, it's a little freeing, Plus you get to interact with these people a little bit more. And in the D3 world, you just don't have that. Um, yeah. So it makes your, it makes your job easier, but you also get to learn from these people. So you can see more of what it takes to develop a whole person. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's a 360 degree approach. And, it, <laughs> and again, when you're in those situations where you're in D3, like you're, you have to do what you can do because you're the only guy, but it's like, when you have all these other options available to you, it's like, 
I'm going to be able to push them, not push them off, but be able to provide them that service that they've probably needed for a long period of time, but just never had. And now we have a professional on that setting that can essentially assist and develop maybe the area that they didn't have the chance to before in the past. Absolutely. Um, so kind of the, the one big question I kind of want to finish with here is, is something that you mentioned is, I know you said you were very passionate about helping strength and conditioning coaches. You know, you're part of several different programs for that. Um, you know, helping, especially those at the lower levels kind of fight what, what their worth is, right. You know, we see a lot of <laughs> training and conditioning coaches still getting paid $30,000, $40,000 a year for, you know, like you said, having to train 20 plus teams and you're the only guy and you're working 70, 80 hours a week. And, you know, especially with how everything's rising and increasing and how expensive everything is, it's like, it's to the point now where some of these positions just aren't even sustainable because you can't even live. Like yeah. you're probably barely paying for food or barely paying for your rent. I mean, could you kind of speak on that? Yeah, that's always been a passion of mine. Um, as I said earlier, one of the reasons, one of the things I really like about being a strength and conditioning coach is being able to mentor people, being able to help them to improve. Um, in my, in my opinion, it, you should, people should always be trying to improve themselves uh, professionally or personally or both. And it doesn't have to be major leaps. Um, but if you're not seeking to improve, you're, you're kind of getting stagnant. You know, there's always something you can do to improve your life. Uh, and if I can help somebody to improve their performance, their daily function, their mentality, you know, that's great. That's what I want to do for people. You know, I want to be the mentor that I never really had when I was um, coming up as, as uh, a strength and conditioning coach. So in my work with the NSCA, I've actually been the co-chair of the College Coaches Professional Development Group before it was actually called the Professional Development Group. It was a special interest group. Um, I was a co-chair for two years um, uh, while Brian Mann, Dr. Brian Mann, was the chair. Um, it's a great experience. Once his term was over, I took over as the chair. Um, and it's it became a, a real place of community. And that can be a problem with an organization as big as the NSCA. It serves a lot of people, which is great. It touches on a lot of different fields. It really provides a lot of, of assistance and information. Um, but the bigger an organization gets, the harder it can feel to be, uh, the harder it can be to feel a part of that. So the SIGs and the PDGs now really help with that community feel. Um, and one of the things I tried to do when I was a chair of the special interest group, professional development group, uh, was to create a place through our, our Facebook um, page and through meetings at our national conferences and, and just being available to talk to people all the time. Um, a place where they could share ideas, ask questions, meet new people and develop themselves uh, to improve professionally. Um, not necessarily air their grievances, but come in and say, hey, I got this issue. How do you guys deal with this? Because Nine times out of 10, uh, something you're facing, uh, someone else. Everybody else is facing. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and that's something that's, it's not new news. It's been like that ever since college strength and conditioning came about. And, you know, mm -hmm. we don't always have, especially small strength coaches, small school strength coaches, we don't always have the resources to reach out to people. Um, so this, I, I feel like the, the professional development group for college coaches kind of put people on more level playing fields. You know, you could be a D1 coach, be facing an issue or have a question. Um, and get answers from D3 coaches, professional strength coaches, you know, people across the board and, and people generally are really willing to help, uh, which I love to see in the field. You know, we, the field of strength and conditioning, as you said earlier, is becoming unsustainable, particularly at the college level. Um, high schools, um, a lot of high schools are starting to pay more on average for strength coaches than colleges. Um, Matt Nine, who's at Salisbury University, uh, he and I did an informal D3 strength and conditioning survey the year before the NSCA's uh, salary survey came out. <clears throat> and we kind of got a look at um, 
the different salary levels for experience and time at the level. Um, and based on um, previous research that had been done uh, in the decade leading up to what we did, I actually observed that strength and conditioning salaries as of 2018 um, stopped keeping up with um, inflation and cost of living increases in 2013 for D3 straight coaches or 20, 2014 for D3 straight coaches. So a D3 strength coach in 2018 um, was now falling below the average cost of living, um, which is sad, you know, and, and I make this point um, not to, you know, pat myself on the back or pat the field on the back, but strength and conditioning coaches, particularly at the college level, were the only coaching position the NCAA requires to have any kind of education. You're required to have a certification. They're vague on what that certification must be, but if you're in the field, you know it needs to be one of the top tier certifications that requires at least a bachelor's degree and ongoing um, continuing education. No other coaching position in the NCAA is required to have that. And yet, many of us are paid very low salaries. Um, and in some cases, um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. One of the schools I was at, assistant athletic director that I reported to actually told me they would be okay with me writing programs and not coaching so that I could find a second job so I could continue to work at the university, you know, which is just mind-boggling. I, I know. It's, like if, it's you not, just, if you just pause there and let people think about that, it's like yeah. – People on some of those, I mean, and that's why you see a lot of people, especially strength conditioning coach, they're trying to get those like assistant athletic director roles or athletic director roles, because a lot of people within our profession or have also been an athlete prior to as well, understand what goes into it, where a lot of times, you know, and maybe not be their fault because they just don't know. But a lot of times we get people in those positions that have no clue how a lot of that runs or what the day to day looks like. And then they end up making the decisions for individuals and then it's hurting them long-term than it is helping them, or they're making decisions that help one department, but they're not looking from a macro level and looking at how it helps everybody or where everybody's yeah. needs are. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> factors across the board. Yeah. And I, I feel like the NSCA has done a good job in the last couple of years of providing um, tools for strength coaches to advocate for themselves. I was actually the chair of the college coaches advocacy working group. Uh, which is kind of a focus group where we came up, uh, identified some issues in college strength and conditioning, and we're now developing some resources and toolkits to help our coaches with that. Salary information is great. Knowing what people in your conference are making are great. Standing your ground is great. And I know it can be tough to do, um, but being able to advocate for yourself and say, look, I'm the lowest paid coach in this conference. I'm not going to stand for that because I'm working 70 hours a week, or I don't get to see my family. I need to cut back on my hours. We need to cut back on the teams we work, I work with or hire me an assistant. And when I was at uh, Transylvania University, I did, I only worked with teams that showed up. So we had 26 teams. I was a one man show with an 800 square foot weight room. I had four racks. So I actually only worked with the teams that had good attendance. And if your attendance dropped below a certain point, you were out. And the next team that wanted to work with me was in. And I only worked with about 12 teams a year, but that's how, that's the only way I could get it done and maintain my sanity. Yeah. But so, when, you're, when you're training in the closet, you don't have much room. It's like, you don't have time to mess around. Yeah. I will say that in my time as the chair of both of these groups, um, you know, I don't want to put myself out there as a man with all the answers, but what I do try to do is be the person who can connect you with someone that might be able to help you. If I can't find you answers. I'm going to try to help find answers um, through an associate of mine or, or, you know, a resource from the NSCA or something that will help you out. Because again, it's about mentorship for me. It's about making the field better and getting not recognition, uh, but a better life for our coaches who put in so much hard work because it's just what they love to do. 
and it's, it's what they deserve at the end of the day. Yeah. Like yeah. no, no one deserves to struggle 24 seven or no one deserves for 10, 15 years of their life to have to deal with that stress every single day. Like, especially when be, you're, especially when you're such a highly certified and educated person, yeah. you know, you, you have to be at a high level to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and, and not, not so much for other positions in the athletic department necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, well, Mike, really appreciate you taking the time to have you on today. Um, lots of good nuggets that are in there. Again, anybody that heard him here at the end, if you want to contact him, you know, I contacted him very approachable. I didn't know Mike at all before this, but you know, we were able to have a great conversation prior to leading up to this point. Um, he's very open. He's willing to talk. Um, so we'll definitely put his, his bio, his contact information, uh, Mike, if you're willing to provide the information on the salaries, if that's available, I can put that in the yep. show notes too. Um, again, anything that we can provide the viewer to help reinforce and help them in their situations. Um, hopefully at least one person gets some value out of that. And that ends up putting their department or their job in a better position than it was today. Absolutely. So, so Mike, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sean. This is a great opportunity. Thank you so much.